0: All right. So we are joined here today by Laurel Christensen. Laurel, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. So I'm happy to be
1: here. I'll start with that. Uh, And I am the chief audiology officer. Um, I'd rather just say the head of audiology uh, for GN Group. Um, So of course, GN Group is is multiple brands. The the best knowns are, of course, Beltone and ReSound.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Um, This is going to be a great conversation. I kind of wanted to bring you on as somebody that's been in the industry for a little while. I've been having a lot of these conversations lately of just kind of like, you know, with all of the change that's taking place. I mean, I just saw today they're now saying for the upteenth time that we're gonna get the OTC legislation, you know, implementation on maybe now November 7th. So um, it's it's kind of like this period of time right now in this industry that is uh there's just a lot of volatility in, in sort of the ways in which this could all sort of change and evolve in the next few years. And so I think it's really, really helpful, informative, and, and educational to hear from those that have been in this space for a little while to kind of get your perspective on all of this. And so I wanted to just kind of start with your story. Um, I think you're a, a pretty well respected and renowned person within the industry. So um, for those that don't really know who you are though, can you kind of take us back to the start? Um, how did you come to be in this whole field? You know, what what led you into this? And then we can just kind of go from there. Well sounds good.
1: Um... So I I have been in the industry an awfully long time. I don't see myself or think of myself as the age that I am, which is 54 (laughs) today, I'll go ahead and reveal that. Um, So, you know, 30 plus years in the industry, doesn't feel like that at all, but boy, have I seen a lot of changes. And I always swore when I was the 24 year old that I would never become one of those old people who talks about the history, Um, but I am one of those old people now that talks about the history. Uh, So, you know, my, my start is probably like so many other audiologists, I I didn't just jump right into audiology, I started in engineering, um, and actually did three years of undergrad in engineering at University of Wyoming. And and then kind of going into my senior year at Wyoming, I decided I, I don't want to be an engineer. And, and I can remember my parents not being terribly happy about that. And, and I went to, because I'm about done, you know, but, uh, career counseling and things like that, um, yeah. led me kind of to health professionals. And I'm like, I, I think I'm going to go into speech pathology and audiology. And, you know, and then you kind of went into all of it. And I, I even stayed for summer school cause I had to catch up and, you know, I, I knew about audiology um, because my father is an ear, nose, and throat doctor. So you know, i knew about audiology and in the summers i would actually you know do some work in his office it was not fun work it was you know taking the old files that you know had, were aged and moving them into a downstairs room nothing was digital at that time <laughs> um so i didn't get to do anything fun but part of the fun i had at, at points was the audiologist would let me come in sometimes when babies were being tested and such when i was in high school so i knew about audiology Took some speech classes, took audio, my first audiology class, and I went, okay, this is exactly what I want to do. So that, you know, that kind of led the, you know, into audiology. Um, I, I finished at Wyoming undergrad, went to Indiana University for my master's and PhD. Um, never really thought much about getting a PhD. I, I actually was, you know, asked if it was something I'd be interested in by my mentor, uh, which was Larry Humes at, at IU. And, you know, he came one day and said, I think you should get your PhD. And I said, (laughs) why? (laughs) You know, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't that interested in doing it. Didn't really understand why that would be a good idea. um, And had a lot of conversations with him and and ultimately made that decision. Did my CFY year in, in Indianapolis for an ear, nose and throat doctor. So I got, you know, kind of that clinical ENT experience. And then I would drive back and forth between Bloomington, Indiana and, 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 uh, in Indianapolis to do uh, work on my, you know, PhD as well. So, you know, did my PhD with Larry. You know, a lot about uh, speech understanding and aging. That was a big part of it. Um, uh, but hearing aids as well uh, were, were part of it. So, and then I graduated, and my first job was LSU Medical Center. So I was down there in the Department of Communication Disorders. It's now I think LSU Health Science Center or something. They've changed the name. Um, But I was there for eight years, um, was a tenured professor, but we were in a model where you were a clinical and you were a professor. So you always worked in the clinic. And so, you know, did a lot of, um, you know, seeing patients and, and mentoring students. And and then I did research and I and I would have to you know, probably credit Don Shum, who was at Oticon for a lot of years, and you know, we kind of have been competitors over the years, but it was Don who called one day and asked if I wanted to be part of a, a big clinical trial that was being done by Miracle Ear. And it was when the FDA uh, kind of came down on advertising hearing aids, um, that advertising that hearing aids could help you hear in noise. And the FDA said, nope, you can't advertise that anymore. Um, so Miracle-Ear set out to prove that it was true that hearing aids would help you hear a noise. And, and of course it was, but we went through a very rigid regulatory trial at three different sites. Um, and Don Shum had asked me to be that site. And I think that's really where I entered the hearing aid business. I was at LSU at the time, but that was kind of the inspiration. I was like, you yeah, know, I really like hearing aid research. I really want to be a part of this. and. Mm-hmm. Um, so at one, I, I, I spent a lot of time with Mead Killian at that time because Mead would come down to LSU and yep. Mead would give lectures and things. I went to Atomotic um, finally, um, left LSU, decided I really wanted to come into the industry, did development there, mainly of things like the D-Mic and, and the Digi-K. I also did newborn hearing screening a little known fact there and <laughs> actually went to Japan a lot and did newborn hearing screening wow. while I was at Atomotic. Um, but then, uh, after about five years at Atomotic, I was recruited, um, uh, by Resound. So I've been at Resound for 19 years in, in various, uh, areas, came in as the head of research in the United States and then quickly also became the head of audiology, um, kind of globally and and now um, now we have another head of research that's Andrew Dipburner, um, And I'm audiology and, and commercial training and education and external relations, KOL development, um, supporting the subsidiaries in the market, um, but also a big hand and my favorite part is the actual development of the hearing aids, no, no doubt about it. And you started by saying, you know, there are things coming. Um, you know, we've been waiting for these OTC regs, but, but we've been talking for years about a change in this industry and really hasn't been upon us. And and there is no doubt that the change is upon us. This, this will be a change in our industry. And I think, you know, I'll give it away right now. I think it for the better.
0: Yeah. All right, cool. Well, we're going to definitely go through, um, all of like that, this whole idea of what's coming and, and and ways to think about it. But I definitely want to touch on a few things throughout your story there. What a cool story, first of all. Um, so going all the way back to your dad, uh, with you know, okay, so he's an ENT doctor, was what what was the state of audiology like back then? I mean, um, you know, as a ENT, did he ever, I mean, what how how were you exposed to the audiology side of you know, within his ENT practice, if you will.
1: Yeah, well, you know, for anyone who's listening to this that's been in audiology for a long time, my dad's first audiologist was a guy named Mike Marion, and he was a staple. He, He actually had the the meeting, the audiology meeting in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which was so popular for many years. That was my dad's first audiologist. And Mike didn't work for my dad. Mike was progressive and he kind of had his own. Oh, you know, I I'll work with you. Um, So he he established a model with my dad from the beginning. And and of course, I'm biased as all get out because he's my dad. But I've worked with and for ENTs. Um, and my dad was really one of a kind. He was really a, a good person. He was very interested in audiology, um, you know, and, and he he right away would refer to audiology. He knew about hearing aids. He wanted hearing aids. Um, and, and so my, my dad, I think, was very influenced by Mike Marion. There's no doubt about it. And, and he had, you know, the utmost respect for audiologists. So, so I think that's part of one of the reasons why I came in. What, what was the state back then? You know, it was horrible. I mean, hearing aids were linear peak clipping devices. You know, maybe linear compression limiting was coming in back in the day, but you know, hearing aids really only helped in quiet. You know, there's there's very good data that Mead Killian actually did that just showed that old peak clipping hearing aids actually made hearing and noise worse than, (laughs) you know, than, than anything else. I mean, we just did. And so many of them ended up in the drawer and, you know, man has life changed since been there. I mean, this, it, you know, this is an industry we can all be, any of us in it can be so proud Mm -hmm. of, of what it was back then and what it is today, where we have technologies that, We can help in about every situation, you know, today and the the transition that took us from linear P-clipping to to where we are today with these entire auditory systems to help people hear, you know, it's just pretty amazing to have lived the, you know, 30 plus years of all that.
0: I think it's really interesting too, um, as someone like myself who was sort of, I always joke that I'm like genetically predisposed to this industry, you know, like my parents started Oak tree when I was three. Um, and therefore I was, you know, it was always kind of part of like dinner table talk. And, and so I kind of through osmosis became familiarized with this industry. Was it similar with you where your dad would take home work with him? Um, and you know, you were exposed at a young age of his world and this whole idea of, I mean, do you think that's where kind of the root of your passion came from was early on?
1: you know, not so much like you. Interesting. Um, Yeah. I mean, I can definitely see where it would be in yours. You know, my dad, you know, he was, you know, he was the quintessential surgeon. He, he was grew Mm -hmm. up in Casper, Wyoming. He was the chief of surgery at the hospital, you know, and, and he left in the morning before we even got out of bed, you know, and, um, and, you know, he didn't really talk that much about his work. Uh, You know, we were, we were a family that did we, had, we owned a cabin, we skied, we backpacked, we hiked, he took care of, you know, he wanted every mountain thing known to man. <laughs> and that was kind of the family event. I didn't get exposed to the audiology side of his practice till I was in high school.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And,
1: and I have to say that the audiologist that worked there, then Mike was long gone out in California by then. But uh, the audiologists work with him were these cool, just totally cool women who were like, glad to see me every day. And and I think that's what sparked the interest yeah. uh, and, and just that, you know, seeing the kids, cause there were a lot of kids getting hearing tested because of tubes and, and mm-hmm. all that in an ENT practice. And so you know, that was probably it for me. It, it was not ingrained. Um, my dad honestly wanted to be an engine, wanted us to be engineers. Mm-hmm. And and I have a few brothers who are engineers. My dad never pushed us to, into being physicians. He thought medicine was changing and, mm-hmm. and, and that wasn't probably the greatest thing to go into which is kind of you know none of us went into medicine however my oldest daughter wants to be a surgeon um so maybe it's going to skip a generation yeah I don't exactly know, but, um but he, my dad pushed us all to engineering uh and and i'm like okay well and i was biomedical engineering and and my dad was very disappointed in me when I didn't finish the engineering degree. And he actually said, you can be an audiologist, but just finish that engineering degree. <laughs> well, I mean, I should have taken my dad's advice. The, the engineering degree would be helpful for what I do in, in product development today. But I'm young and stupid and I didn't finish my engineering degree. I just went on and got my audiology degree. So um, it was it wasn't like you. Hey, I, I last night I was at a customer event and I was talking to um one of our customers, and she's like, Yeah, well, I'm, you know, I I I was born into this industry. Her mom was in private practice yep. and she's about ready to take over her mom's private practice. So I was like, Yeah, it was definitely a little bit different for me.
0: That's interesting. So okay, another another aspect that you mentioned, sort of on your journey to resound, um, is your time at IU and Larry Humes. So he's a person that's come up a number of times on the podcast. It sounds like you um, you know, worked closely with him. Um, what, what's this thing like, I know he's a independent researcher and he did the OTC double blind study, but like, in your opinion, what's, what's the thing that comes to mind for you about like the, this, the real, like the impact that Larry, Larry Humes made on this industry and what we should, as a young person in this industry, like how I should be thinking about him. Yeah,
1: well, I could talk for the rest of the podcast about Larry Humes, (laughs) um, Yeah, I mean, uh, no person has had as big an impact on my life as he did there there's no doubt about it, Um, he is a true mentor in every sense of the word, if if you were a student of Larry's, um, you could expect to be mentored. Uh, and, And it wasn't, let's make it as hard for you as you possibly can. So you'll drop out of your PhD program. And there are many PhD programs like that. I've had students come to me very upset that their mentors aren't mentoring. They're trying to get them to break, you know, that, that is not a Larry Humes. Larry, if, if Larry recruited you in there and he wanted you in there, he was going to make sure that you were successful and, And, you know, he spent so much time talking through our research. And, and of course, he was NIH funded for I don't know how many years, 20 20, at least. I mean, he had continuous funding. And so we were working in his lab and we were learning so much. Um, My days there were very much speech understanding and aging. You know, was was audibility the reason why? Uh, you know, speech understanding um, was declined with with hearing loss, or was cognition a part of it? Were there peripheral aspects, like you know, temporal processing and these kinds of things? So, my days were all about that, and I think you know, that is certainly an area that he had a huge impact on, but he, you know, prior to that, he was, you know, a psychoacoustics researcher, and then he kind of, you know, went into hearing aids and hearing aid benefit, and, Mm -hmm. and did large scale studies around on hearing aids and and has moved now into different models of dispensing hearing aids. So of course, that's what you're, you're talking about is the work that he did, um, you know, on, on, you know models of dispensing it's not so much otc but can people yeah you know ultimately fit themselves and how does that work and and things like that so you know he now you know does a fair amount of consulting as well he's you know he's an emeritus faculty um but has one i can't remember the name but i you know it's like that you're he you know it's this, this distinguished professor at indiana university i mean you just don't get that he's you know published hundreds and hundreds of things, you know. Mm-hmm. And, but I also think, you know, one of the things I would say about Larry is he's a quiet guy. Yeah. Um, he never went out to get the spotlight. Um, one of the things I think I respect most about him is if you, you know, he's kind of the smartest person in the room everywhere, but he yeah. never was the kind of researcher that got up at a convention and, and attacked someone. Yeah. Um, up on the podium, if, if he wanted to chat with you about your research, he would have done that in a very different way. And, and I actually remember as a as a young researcher getting attacked on the podium, and it being very traumatic for me. At the time. <laughs> right. um, and Larry was actually in the audience. And, and you know, I, I can just, I just remember that he was such a different guy, he was probably the smartest one there. And he always had great knowledge and expertise, but he never ever was the kind of person that would make you feel like you didn't know what you were doing and and such. And he's always just been that guy, you know, like I said, I could go on forever. I mean, he really is one of those people that, and he may not come as like, you know, he didn't have the personality of a Mead Killian or a Chuck Berlin, you know, these very outgoing personalities. So he may not be the one that's remembered, but man, the impact um, that he made on his students. and, And there's more than just me. And, and then, um, you know, on the industry, I think is is really huge.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it's, he sounds extremely humble and also like a living legend. And speaking of living legends in this space, you just mentioned his name, Mead, Mead Killian, um, yeah. you know, with Etymotic. Uh, So what was the time like there? I, I mean, I promise we're going to get into you know, yeah, to the state of the technology yeah. but i think these are these are such important figures that are you know the old adage of uh, we stand on the shoulders of giants these are the giants and yeah. uh, i think that Mead Killian is another really good example of somebody that has completely paved the way in some regards to kind of like the current state of things so i'm curious as like so you had that time with larry you know in undergrad and as a researcher while you were getting your aud um or your phd and then you weren't went and worked with with Mead, like what was that like?
1: Yeah, well, you know, anyone who knows Mead knows he's a he's character. He's he's but uh yes. unbelievably <laughs> brilliant guy. And I think if I look at my own impact on my life from him, it's hearing aids. Um, I learned every in and out of a hearing aid from Mead. Um, I even taught hearing aids with Mead for a few years at Northwestern University. And he would actually make the students build their own hearing aid. And I've never even done that when I came to Etymotic. So, I mean, you learned about chip development and hybrid development and wiring and soldering and yeah, microphones cool. and receivers and, and you lived it with him. And, 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 I think that's really, you know, the hearing aids, but You know, you you look back at Mead-Killian and you want to talk hearing aids, you know, probably the first huge development in our industry that changed from crappy linear peak clipping was the K-amp. Also, wide dynamic range compression from the company I work for today, ReSound. Um, Those two, you know, Mead, the K-amp, and and the first wide dynamic range compression hearing aid that that had really come from Eddie Vilcher's work at AT AT&T Bell Labs. those came on the market at the same time. One was wide dynamic range compression in the high frequencies, that was the camp. And the other was, you know, full band, full frequency, wide dynamic range compression. And, you know, Mead and, and the work around that um, with Ed Vilcher, I mean, then you had hearing aids that modeled what the outer hair cells do with the, you know, you, you basically give amplification for, For softer sounds, you leave louder sounds untouched. You don't distort everything. Mm -hmm. This is how the ear works. And and it it completely changed the industry. I mean, when you talk about those game-changing things that have brought us from hearing aids that that didn't work very well to what we are today, you've got to look at why dynamic range compression is probably the biggest one that that hit first. And and, that was mead. Um, but, but Mead also developed the D mic, um, directional, you know, directional microphones are of course very important, but directional microphones have had their own history. I mean, they were, they were there a long, long time ago, and then they went out of favor. Um, and then in the late nineties, they came back into favor. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, he was developing, uh, you know, the D mic, but at the same time, other companies were developing these two mic directional systems and, you know, Mead was doing all kinds of things, you know, he, he consumer electronics, you know, his headphones are, are just incredible. And and so he's kind of known in consumer electronics, he's known in, in hearing aids, but he's made, you know, many, many huge steps forward, um, yeah. in, in our industry. I mean, in many ways, like Larry, but Larry different in the research side, Mead more on the technology yeah. side and bringing products to market and and such. So, you know both different mentors in different ways um but you know you, you, they have a huge impact on on who you are and how you think as as you uh you know go through your career
0: so when was that that the KM? when was that released into the market like when you said this game changing moment when would you say that was right yeah, what was
1: it um late 80s okay so uh, or-
0: so yeah, would say probably that 80, roughly,
1: 89, 90, and I hope I'm not wrong.
0: No, <laughs> I think you're probably in the ballpark. Um, yeah. So you would say right around that time period was when we had like one of the first big breakthroughs with hearing hearing aid technology. Okay, so then, you know, into the 90s, um, you know, in early 2000s, like what, what what were some other defining moments in your opinion from a technology standpoint?
1: Well, so, you know, why did range compression, of course, and then, and then, and then you had probably into the nineties, you, you had, um, a lot of directional microphone stuff. And now I'm going off the top of my head here, but, um, digital, of course. Um, so you're, you're talking about digital hearing aids in the, in the mid to late nineties. Um, and of course, digital, um, they weren't, you know, digital hearing aids came out when I was, um, you know, still working for Mead Killian. He was doing like the Digik at that time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, analog, digital wasn't necessarily better than analog when they came out on the market. As a matter of fact, I'm not even sure they were as good as analog when they came out on the market, but it was the power of what they could do um, and yeah, the potential that, that ultimately could change the industry. And and you look at probably the first time that that came together, you know, you had digital feedback cancellation, um, so that was Danavox, um, and of course that's still you know the company I work for. That was part of all the companies that came together over time. You know, you had digital feedback control, but then Danavox worked with Resound in in you know it was an American company in in Redwood City, California, and um, that was a Rodney Perkins. You know, he started many companies um, in the industry, but. They had a small hearing aid called the Avance. It was this tiny little behind the ear and it had a thin tube and it was, you know, people love the cosmetics of this thing, but man, it whistled all the time. It had (laughs) no feedback control in it. You could not get much more than 15, 20 dB gain out of it. Um, But the, the marriage of the Avance with the feedback control that DanaVox has, because these companies ultimately, you know, combined,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: it it gave you um, the first open BTE thin tube hearing out out on the market. That was a Resound Air. Um, That I would tell you is a massive game changer. Um, You know, at that time, 80% of the U.S. was custom products. Right. Um, And then this little open cosmetic hearing aid came out. And I I don't even think we, this is when I joined Resound. Mm -hmm. That was largely developed, I can't take any credit for resound air, that was pretty much done when I got there. Um, But the clinical trials were happening. And I, I have been this firm believer that I can predict, I can predict the success of our products just out of our clinical trials. Yeah. And this clinical trial, every single patient wanted to buy the hearing aid. Yeah. And I'm like, Whoa, you know, we've got something here. But it wasn't, um, people didn't want it, I, I can tell you that it was not well accepted onto the market, um, and you look now where we are, um, but but it was not some sort of massive sales boom for for Resound when Air came out. Interesting. Um, people they didn't really like the instant fit. They're used to taking ear mold impressions. They mm-hmm. have sold custom. They're used to things being in the ear that were not a lot of BTE sales in the United States at that time. And it took a lot of time for the thin tube receiver in the ear products. You know, of course, you had Oticon um, came out with the first receiver in the ear product and it was a thin tube, but now the receiver's out of the housing so very much like the resound air, but yeah. the receiver in the ear. Um, and that, again, continued like this, you know, growth of the of the thin tube receiver in the ear BT, And then you can see where we are today. So, I mean, it, it was definitely a game changer. And, you know, why are these things game changers? Because they solved real problems yeah. that the people we serve had. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think, I think that's something we have to continually think about in development. Right. I see a lot of hearing aids jump out onto the market and, and we can't even see what they changed from generation one to generation two. And, you know, and I, and I hate to say that, but that's just the facts. The marketing stories look fabulous, but the hearing aids themselves aren't that, aren't that different. Yeah. And, and then audiologists are smart people and they fit them and their patients say, yeah, it sounds about the same. I'm not really hearing anything different. When you have those big jumps, it's because you have done something to solve a problem. And so why dynamic range compression really solved that sound quality problem of, of those peak clipping um, or compression learning devices. Open fitting solved the occlusion problem. And, and that was a huge problem. Most yeah. of our patients kind of start out with that, that kind of hearing loss. So I think when you solve the problems is when you have the big technology breakthroughs. Um, And we have a lot of products that come out that, that aren't big technology breakthroughs.
0: Well, I think this is interesting from what you were saying where it wasn't initially accepted. So if I understand it, so the resound Air was, it was like almost a precursor to uh, the Rick style, right? It was like a, Okay. So then, so you introduced this and then it sounds like maybe it was Oticon introduced the first Rick and then, you know, flash forward to today and it's this dominant form factor within the offering. But I find this so interesting where you, um, you know, people were sort of opposed to this. Um, You sort of, it's like history doesn't repeat, it rhymes. It seems like that's sort of happening in some ways right now with the industry is that, There's a opposition to certain things that, um, you know, it's just because people are sort of creatures of habit and they're conditioned to think one way. And so I think that that's really interesting, though, to think about, because if you've, you know, you see where we are today and you see all these different market track reports or the market research that shows the actual, you know, of the overall hearing aid sales, the different forms that are sold. I want to say receiver in the canal now accounts for it's it's up over like eighty five percent of the market or something like that, right? It, it
1: is it is the the biggest runner of hearing aids. It is I mean everybody wants to sell them. Um, you know it 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 took people fitting patients and finding out they didn't have to counsel about the sound of their own voice. Um, because you know, occlusion is a real problem. And as much mm-hmm. as we might've told our patients, you'd get used to it. Um, they don't get used to it. Um, you always have the irritating eating potato chips or chewing sounds. I mean, they, they just don't go away. Um, and so you got rid of it. You solved this problem. The sound quality is better. The cosmetics were just great. I mean, you just mm-hmm. didn't see them. they were tiny, thin yeah. tube mm-hmm. instead of a 13 tube and, and so you know, people eventually it caught on, and then it you know everybody started making receiver in the air and, and and we are where we are today. It's interesting. I you know I'll, I'll fast forward. Um, we we have we have a, a new receiver on the market that actually has a microphone in the receiver, um, and it came out about a year ago, yeah. and and it's you know it, it makes complete sense. You you take the microphones out of the ear. And you mess up all the pinna acoustics and the pinna acoustics are so important because we have been listening with our pinnas our entire lives. So everything I listen to sounds one way to me and everything that mm-hmm. you listen to sounds one way to you. So when you put a hearing aid on somebody and now they're listening above their ears, it never will sound natural to them because it's not their ears. Totally. So we, every manufacturer we build in this average pinna and you know, nobody has the applicant, nobody, but most people do not have an average pinna. It's the same reason why we run real ear measurements. Everybody's ear acoustics are are different. And so um, the whole idea of listening with your own ear, I mean, and there are even more than that. I mean, you can only do true spatial perception and and I'm talking about spatial separation. So, you know, that this conversation over here is happening over, over on your right. And the conversation over on your left is happening on your left. And you can actually spatially separate it out and, and attend to either one of them. Only normal hearing people can do that. People with hearing aids, they, they can't spatially separate. And the pinna allows you to do that. So there are just umpteen reasons why putting the microphone back in the ear is a good idea, but I can tell you it's a little resound air like
0: Mm -hmm. people
1: are like why why would I put that receiver in the ear and 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 it's harder to fit because of course you have a receiver next to a microphone so it can it has feedback more often and you have to be very careful and stick to the fitting range and and I and I keep telling my sales colleagues just keep talking about it, keep talking about it, keep talking about it, because I guarantee to you this is the future, because yeah. when people figure out that everybody likes it better, when they can actually listen with their own ear, everyone's going to copy it, everyone's going to have it, and it will be very much like, you know, receiver in the ears, uh, hearing aids, but but we don't accept Sometimes the latest greatest thing right away, you know. It's it, it takes time and research um, to kind of show that that they're the right way to go.
0: Well, this whole thing. So the Emory, what you described there, perfect segue, by the way. Of uh, you, you know, so such a natural flow there yeah. of tying what we were talking about to now all of this really cool technology, which is what I wanted to get into um, because I think. The, there's, there's a lot that's going on with this. So I think you're right where it's like, you know, a part of it is getting people to buy into this is just kind of like think different. There's a lot of of logic that goes into this, but there's also significant technology breakthroughs that have happened to enable that. That's, you know, when I first read about this, I was blown away at the way in which this actually works because in order to eliminate the feedback as as I understand it, is that, these all of these different receivers are working in simpatico as a network it's a neural network of, of all different um you know components that are signaling to one another in such a way so that it it mitigates the amount of feedback and i just think that that's such a testament again of like here here we are in 2021 and so you go back like you said you you know you have this first breakthrough in 89 or 90 and that kind of blows the door open on like these things now start to sound pretty good flash forward to today we have literal neural nets being baked into a device the size of a hearing aid i think it's just such a testament of like wow how far we've come and now we're really starting to see some incredible things that are you know it's like you said where you now are able to actually give somebody that has a significant hearing loss you can restore their ability to hear in such a way that sounds natural because you the technology now allows for you to put a microphone literally in the receiver that you have in the ear canal and I think that you know like you said from a scientific standpoint the way in which that replicates the pinna effect is mind-blowing from like an engineering standpoint and just a sheer wow I can't believe how sophisticated these things are becoming and it's um
1: I think we're in another kind of heyday of this um if, if, if you if you go back just a little bit it hasn't been that long since we had hearing aids connecting to phones. So, you know, the first made for iPhone hearing aid right. was what, 2014. And then we have, you know, made for all Bluetooth connectivity accessories. You, you had wireless with the um, kind of the wireless necklaces around yeah, the the magnetic induction systems, but it hasn't been that long since we got rid of that and everyone moved over to 2.4 gigahertz. I mention all of that because there's been this kind of you know, there's been this huge emphasis on connectivity. Um, it's It's been, um, you know, it, it's been something that, you know, some companies have been more ahead than others and some have taken the leads and, and back and forth, but everybody's been working on connectivity. And I think that has taken away resources from signal processing. And and so now we're getting to the connectivity side where we're all going to be on the same you know, eventually we're all on the same wireless protocol. Yeah. You, know, you can walk into a movie theater and your hearing aids are going to automatically connect to the, you know, to the system in there because you're all going to be wireless. I think the taking the leading connectivity um, and, and kind of where connectivity is going, you know, we, we're, we're probably all getting to the same place and it's, and it's a good place good point. and, and yeah. that's kind of done, but we've spent massive amounts of energy with radio development and and you know bringing in you know people who can do those kinds of things into hearing aid companies uh working on connectivity to phones and streaming and all the protocols from apple and and samsung to do those you know the asha streaming protocols and the mfi and yeah, it, the resources to do the apps and to have apps control the hearing aids we've spent so much time in engineering working on those that i think AI and neural nets and, um, you know, the Marie microphones and and where are we going with, uh, you know, cognitive health and all of that, that's kind of taken a, a back seat, And now you're seeing this emergence because hearing aid companies are kind of, all right, connectivity is, right. you know, it, it, we're, we're, you know, we're maybe, you know, on, the, on, on par there, we're in a good place. Let's really focus back on signal processing. And you know, I've heard by, you know, I've heard colleagues that don't work in the hearing aid industry like i do say you know is there any more signal processing we we can really do are we done um and and definitely there is more signal processing it's exactly what you said i mean we're already seeing evidence of of ai um doing you know very good things with deep neural networks and you know you have a hearing aid that It actually does an offline kind of deep neural network, but it's for environmental classification and and really being able to classify environments right. Um, And because you have to classify environments right in order to make the hearing aids do all the right things. So every company um, is kind of going in, in one way or another with all of this kind of technology. You know, I. I think there's a lot with hearing and noise that we still can do and will mm-hmm. be able to do. You you see it, you know, in 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 articles and really cool things that are happening outside of hearing aids. You know, you're eventually going to be able to do that inside of hearing aids. So I there is a huge future um, in the signal processing. And I think we still have a long way to go. Um, Otherwise, it'd be really boring to work in a company. I think so.
0: I think that's really f- interesting, though, because I do agree with you. I would say that if I had to sort of almost define this last Decade. It's not a full decade. It was more like 2014 and on. So seven, seven, eight years. Um, I would say it's all about co- connectivity. I would say that's been the big theme. And you're right, where it's sort of now become table stakes. I think that um, you know everybody's sort of on par. Some some companies might have an edge um, in certain areas, but I think like by and large. These are now primarily pretty much connected devices. And that does lend itself to lots and lots of really exciting things, things I've talked about at nauseum on this podcast before. So it's, it's not anything new to, to the listeners, but I do agree with you where it's like, okay, so what's this next 10 years going to look like? And I think you're right where it's going to go back to, all right, so now how do you basically take these devices and you just continue to optimize them? in a way that is so seamless for the user that the user is so oblivious to what's going on sort of in the device and behind the scenes but to their betterment they're just like wow these things are incredible to you know i I just think that you get to the point to where you put these things on they feel so natural that it's almost as if you basically just restored that that sense in such a seamless way that there's so much there's so much room to run there. And so I'm I'm going to be really curious to see what happens over these next few years, as it does seem like more of the R&D will sort of circle back around toward, you know, very audiology specific things, less of it being more like um, bringing hearing aids into the holistic connected uh, ecosystem, which it's sort of already happened and it's underway, con- you know, and it will continue. But I agree that it's very, very interesting to think about like the what audiology looks like when you really start to layer on all the buzzwords. But but really truthfully, when you have like the, the, the systems on a chip that, you know, these types of things have, I mean, I think some of the, and, and I feel like you would appreciate this too, is if you really are looking sort of underneath the hood of the device and you're seeing what's happening at the chip level, you know, with all these systems on a chip, It's fascinating to see what can, you know, especially when we're talking about an industry that revolves around incredibly small devices, it's highly, highly important to understand like from a miniaturization level, what is going on right now and what doors are being opened as more of the processing and just overall the the way in which the chips are architected are... They're going to um, accommodate for like all kinds of things that I don't think many people are realizing because it it's it's kind of such a dramatic step change again when you incorporate AI into the mix. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And uh, you know, I think as far as we have come, um, and and if you really do fit the system, I mean, I, I I've been teaching hearing aids for years. I've never not been teaching hearing aids, um, and I I finally. I finally told Rush University in Chicago I was gonna retire from teaching <laughs> hearing aids. But I always have told my, you know, students, you know, as far as as far as we've come, you know, hearing and noise is still, it is still a problem um, for people who who wear hearing aids. It is still the problem for people who wear hearing aids. And if you if you use the whole system today, and that is you know, use the the microphones. You know, we have like this mini mic and micro mic and stuff, and you can put them on a companion. But they're not, you know, they're great for those kind of one-on-one situations. But they're not going to help you hear, you know, three or four people in noise. And you know, we so so you can you can have solutions. Like I said earlier. Um, there are very few environments where we can't help people who are hearing impaired hear, and including in noise, but we're using accessories to do it. I mean, I want to see the day where you don't have to have the accessory to hear in noise with your hearing aids. Um, you know, and, and I think that's the kind of thing we have to head to. And I think there is technology. And like you say, you know, you, we, we, we always have more processing power, um, more memory. It's always coming. That's what's hap- That's what happens in chip development. And, you know, I think we're going to be able to do more and more um, our, our research department and, and the head of research at our company, Andrew Dipper assures me that there is a lot more um, that we, that we can do in that area. So I, I think it's going to be fun, but I, I always want to keep the eye, our, you know, our eyes on the real prize and and the real prize is to solve the hearing and noise problem. I think in a hearing aid, yeah. I think the company that really can do that um, the hearing aid that can really do that is going to be the winner because it has been the biggest problem in hearing aid since I entered the industry. And that's the one thing I can tell you 30 years later, it's better. There are things we can do. Um, but is that problem solved? And, and the answer is definitely no.
0: It's the Holy Grail. Yeah, yeah, it certainly yeah. feels like that. Um, so another thing that I think is really, really interesting that's happening that ReSound and GN overall is sort of on the forefront of is what I've termed and others have de- described as kind of like this hearing aid, hearable convergence, this idea that, um, you know, what, what we consider to be a hearing aid is sort of blending with now what we look at as earbuds. And I find this to be so interesting because there's so many interesting, like secondary implications that stem from this. When you have a world where it's really hard to distinguish what exactly each device is doing. I think there's a lot of implications around stigma. And I also think that, it it changes the overall uh way in which we sort of perceive the you know i I think that it changes the way people perceive hearing aids because they look at it then sort of along the same lines as earbuds as well and and it just seems like you know um I've, i've looked at some market data of just like the consumer audio space in general and talk about one of the spaces that really was accelerated by the pandemic uh, this whole true wireless earbud space has just exploded in popularity. It, it was already happening. It was starting to be ushered in by AirPods, I think. But I think during the pandemic, a lot of people realized I kind of want to opt in and have a little bit better sounding headphones. And so um, it's it's kind of like you know this uh, add on that you now have to your smartphone. And so you all have come out with uh, you know with your Jabra line um, some Jabra earbuds that basically function like hearing aids. And I'm just curious to kind of get your thoughts on the overall theme of this. Because again, talking through sort of these step changes within the industry during your time, this again feels like another one, uh, albeit the fact that it's a little different, like it's not sheer you know, hearing aid innovation. It's more of like the behavioral implications um, that might really have an impact on driving more people toward feeling comfortable with like, all right, I have a hearing loss, Hearing aid might not really be my cup of tea, but give me something that looks like these earbuds that, you know, for whatever reason, that is a lot more appealing, in my opinion. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, this is a this is a big area. Um, and when we we've been working on a long time. I mean, the we knew these kinds of changes were coming into the industry over the counter, but self-fitting, um, which was really uh, what Bose uh, kind of put in. Um, for the FDA and they approved, you know, self fitting devices that you actually have to have a a hearing healthcare professional for. And so we thought, you know, this is an area that we want to get into and, and think about it from our company perspective. I mean, we as audiologists, we see GN hearing, um, but there is GN audio in, in this company and they own, um, you know, they do, you know, commercial call center headsets, but they also do wireless earbuds. Um, so you have the Jabra elites and things. So they, you know, very good, um, and and they are a very respect, respected brand in in the Jabra. And so you have this marriage of of this hearing company with this audio company. Um, just a just a quick aside. Uh, the other the other day um it was announced that we purchased steel mm-hmm.
0: series i don't yes. know if you saw that i was gonna um, ask if we could talk a little bit about that so feel yeah, free yeah to... well
1: it, you know it's just kind of funny because you wake up one day and you find out your company purchased steel series well i have to admit um that i had never heard of steel series and so i was telling my husband at breakfast and my 13 year old
0: son say,
1: was at I'm, breakfast I'm curious to hear your that, child's... yeah my company bought steel series and oh my gosh he you own steel Series? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my. And he pulls <laughs> up the website. Mom, look at this keyboard. Look at this. Look at yeah. this. How, Mom, when are we going to be able to get discounts on these products? And I'm like, <laughs> OK, so now I'm cool because I was never cool <laughs> with the hearing aids. Um, but, you know, you have this side of this company that people don't really know about in hearing. But we are a natural marriage um, yeah. to put out a product that, that can reach people we are not reaching today. And, and we are definitely not reaching these people today. So that, you know, I think it's very exciting. Uh, it is, you know, it's an earbud, um, it, it goes in the ear, it is so small uh, and, you know, very comfortable and it's gonna stream but you know, it doesn't have a ton of gain, you know, these are for mild to moderate hearing loss. You know, we don't even have a regulation around OTC products. Mm-hmm. We, we made this for self-fitting products um, so that the HCP is involved in, in the process and, you know, getting, getting those people into the door, you know, helping them with this, you know, I we we serve people who are older. I think it will be even the simplest and most user-friendly um designs will be hard for some people to do. Um, so this is and I mean this is probably the most exciting thing we're working on right now, I think, because I think this is the ability to reach so many more people, get people started um, you know, into hearing healthcare way earlier. Um, you know, I mean, I just think it solves so many problems, and and if you can do it in a high quality way, you know, there's so many of these kinds of devices out there on the market that just don't sound good. You know, you want to do it in a high quality way that meets a target that you're not meeting today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and partnering partnering with the hearing healthcare professional, I think we, you know, that's the model that we are really um, after at the at this moment, and and we're I mean, we're very excited about it, um, and it's been. Um, extremely well received and by hearing healthcare professionals, when can I get it? When can I start? When can I get training? So I think that we've had a lot of years to think about it and people are ready to integrate things like this into their practices.
0: Um, I want to come back to that point there. I think we'll close with that, but I do want to say just sticking on the whole steel series piece, you know, for me, I don't, I'm not a, i am not I used to be a gamer back in like the day when I was in high school and stuff. Um, but, you know i what i find to be so interesting about that acquisition is it's not as if like uh i know that it's kind of abstract but what i think's really neat that i think gn's doing a good job with is bringing under an umbrella a number of sort of different fields of of, of audio um and and i think the cross-pollination that's going to occur I, I think you're already seeing it, between the two worlds of like consumer audio and hearing health. But like gaming is a giant sandbox where some of the most pioneering stuff's happening. I mean, some of the stuff that's going on with spatial audio and just in general, I think they're pushing the envelope because it tends to be so immersive in in the games that you're playing and stuff like that, that, I think what you'll see is you'll see some things that come from that world that like they'll just kind of find their way into the hearing health world or vice versa. And so I find that to be super interesting when you know we we really are sort of seeing right now in real time the audio like audio is such a totality. It's not like like uh hearing health is just one segment of it. And I think that as it becomes more of an an umbrella of of multiple disciplines within this field um i just think there's going to be some really brilliant things that emerge from the cross-pollination that occurs between these disparate fields
1: yeah i think there there's no doubt about it you know i i mentioned my gamer son but <laughs> i you know i've put on his headphones mm-hmm. and and I actually use that as an example when I talk about Marie. I mean, that is what we're trying to achieve with our yeah. Marie receiver is spatial hearing. And, and I think that the, the audiologist doesn't understand that hearing aids, the way they're designed today, take away spatial hearing.
0: Right. And if
1: you want it back, you've got to put a microphone in the ear. And I always say it's like the gamer headset. In, and Steel Series is the company kind of doing that kind of spatial perception. Audio really does span so many things. And you know, the the Danes, you know, really <laughs> excel in audio. I mean, yeah. they their universities have programs that are incredible. So you can hire so many professionals in this area. So, you know, it really is, it, it it's fun. I And I think it's kind of this, everyone's always saying, do you ever work with audio? And, you know, when you're in hearing and yeah, there have been, you know, some working together mm-hmm. over the years. Now, this company is really just kind of marrying up and it's, it just makes it more fun there's more people to work with there's more challenges there's more perspectives um and and jobber enhanced plus is 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 a big part of that you know i think i think this is the right thing to do i think reaching more people for hearing healthcare is the right thing to do and and, um, yeah, i'm I'm really excited about it. if you can't tell, probably can't. No,
0: I, <laughs> yes. Um, all right, so as we wrap here, I do want to close on this whole idea of, you know you're an audiologist, you're the chief audiologist within GN. How do you see um the the role of the audiologist? into the next five years i mean i'm sure you have opinions on this but you know especially kind of like from your perspective of both wearing your manufacturer hat um but also the way that you just see it as these are my colleagues um what what's your sort of take on what what you think will kind of look like this next few years will look like as things like otc do kind of come online you have these jobber enhanced plus type offerings that can be incorporated into the practice um, I'm just curious to kind of get your take as we close.
1: Yeah, well, I think the audiologist is not going anywhere. Uh, you know, these, these products that we're talking about right now are for for mild to moderate hearing loss for people who we are not serving today. We will have an opportunity to serve if we if we, you know, embrace this. But but the audiologist is still the most important piece there is to hearing healthcare. I mean, there is, there's nothing like the counseling and everything that an audiologist brings to the table, Um, the knowledge, you know, your customer, you know, the end user, you know, their problems, their pain points, how to solve them, how to counsel them. And, and it's not going anywhere. Um, You know, I, I just don't see it. We, 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 we have a a group of people that we serve who are older, Um, you know, they, they're becoming more technologically savvy, but you know, hearing healthcare is not simple, getting things in your ears and how to tune them up and how to do all of that. And especially as you have more hearing loss over time, you know, and of course, you know, great things are being done in other areas of hearing health care, like cochlear implants and other implantables and such. So you know, the audiologist, again, they're going nowhere. Um, I just think we have an opportunity to serve more people than we ever have been able to serve before.
0: Well said, I love that. I love the idea that, you know, it's an expanding market. There's going to be more reasons for you to interact with the types of people that maybe you've never interacted with before. I kind of like the throughput for me for this conversation was like you said at the beginning, where, you know, we have these breakthroughs and at times, uh, you know, sometimes it might feel like, you know, whenever there's something that goes against the grain a little bit, like the Rick, you know, the Rick form factor was, back in the day, you know, eventually that becomes the prevailing form factor. And I think that, you know, kind of this way of thinking about like, you know, the jobber enhanced plus in the patient that that is targeted toward, um, while that might not be the most pro or the, the most prevalent type of patient that you have, the, the highest percentage of p- patients that you see, um, you know, in time. That very well could be a subset of patients that that really really grows, and in that we look back and we see some sort of you know chart that shows you know the percentage of mild to moderate losses that you were um, that you were treating are those patients that comprise that you know in 2021 compared to 2026. You know it it might be kind of similar where you see this huge uptick in 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 adoption. So uh, I just find this to be so interesting that you know there's just so much to so much room to run in this space when we're talking about so many people that have hearing loss and so much demand for expertise. I mean, it,
1: it's exactly what you say. So much demand. I mean, what we do as audiologists, as hearing healthcare professionals, what we do changes people's lives. I see it every day. I've seen it in my own family members, close friends socialization and communication with other people is so incredibly important. The need is great. Um, The need is great. And and the need is huge. And and audiology is going to go nowhere because, you know, people need hearing health care and the need is great. And and the reason to do it is good and it changes lives. So, I mean, you know, we go into this because we're passionate about helping people here. And I think we're just doing more in that area.
0: I love it! Wow, what a great conversation. This was so much fun. Um, I really appreciated all of the the history and and your perspective on on the way that you see things moving. And I think there's a lot to uh, to be excited about broadly speaking. But I think GN is um, sort of the embodiment of of I think a lot of different trends that are happening right now. So it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on. So thanks. It's been fun. Um, It it really has been. I never know what
1: to expect. Um, (laughs) um, So this has been this has been just great fun. So thanks for the invite.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, everybody who tuned in here to the end. And we will chat with you next time. Cheers.